This is the second in a series of conversations we're having on the topic of caregiving. And you'll find a link to the first conversation with Jari Bullender in the show notes. And today we're going to talk to someone who has another perspective on the topic of caregiving, and that's with Danielle Miura. She is a certified financial planner in California, but she also is a family caregiver. And she's very passionate about spreading the word on the topic of family caregiving. Danielle found that her life was transformed when one of her family members became ill. And even though she finds it to be something that she's honored by to be a caregiver, she points out that it's not something that you really wish for. It's something that you stumble upon. So we'll talk about her experience and knowledge she has to share with us about what it's like to juggle different roles while being a caregiver and what might be some of the steps and action steps you consider taking if that's something you're involved in today or expect to be in the future. Danielle, thanks for spending time with us today. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So let me first ask you about your own caregiving story. Yeah. So during the pandemic, I moved back home to be closer to family. I think many of us had a shift during the pandemic of now that we're working from home, family is turning into more of a priority. And for us, that was the priority. And so we moved closer to home. About a couple months later, my grandmother fell on tile floor and broke her hip. And many people say it's like the one fall that kind of changes you. And that's what it was like for me. Having broken a hip or a stress fracture, I can relate. That's a, that, is a, that is an injury that has a lot of impact. So appreciate that. So how do you define caregiving and how many people are actually our caregivers? Yeah, that's an interesting topic that still needs to be calculated. So right now, the averages are about uh, 48 million people or a little over 20% of the population. But what many caregivers struggle with is what is the actual definition of family caregiving? And that's something that I struggled with being a millennial and being so young. I initially didn't consider myself a family caregiver. I was just thinking myself of, you know, these are the duties of what it's like to be a family member. And these are my obligations to prioritize my family and, and do the best for them. And it wasn't until I actually started to experience burnout that I realized that this is way more than just being a family member. This is beyond that. And that's when I started looking up the definition of what it is to be a family caregiver. And actually, it's normally people use a very broad definition, which is pretty much you're helping a vulnerable person through daily activities. So that could be as simple as you're making meals for them. Maybe you're helping them clean their house. Maybe you're, phone, you're calling them every day to ensure that their safety is, is adhered. There's many different definitions of what a family caregiver looks like. It might be that many of the people that are listening to this podcast maybe don't know that they're family caregivers, but really are. I've been working with different nonprofit organizations to solidify that definition and do research to find more family caregivers out there because there's probably more than what meets the eye. Absolutely. So I'm curious about how you balance it all because you have multiple roles that you're juggling. You're a CFP running a business. You're a family caregiver, as you mentioned. You're also a mother. 
how do you balance it? How do you prioritize? And and how do you really take care of yourself so you can be at your best for all those different roles? Yeah, it's very difficult. I was definitely grown up with the mentality of you kind of pull up your bootstraps and you keep going. And eventually you realize that those bootstraps can't be pulled any farther and you can't just keep going. And that's what I really struggled with is I was the businesswoman that I wanted to be. I was the mother that was burning out and couldn't be hands-on with my daughter like I wanted to be. I was the family caregiver that got sometimes easily irritated by minor things because, again, I was burnt out. And I'm not going to blame that on anybody else but myself. The Myself for not getting the help that I really needed. I was telling everybody else that go get your annual doctor's appointments, go get help when you need to. And me, myself, I wasn't, I wasn't doing it myself. And when I finally made those annual doctor's appointments and I finally got help, unfortunately, it seemed like there was a lot of barriers to get the help that I needed. I would book doctor's appointments and the doctor would call out sick. And so they would reschedule it. And so I had tons of those types of appointments where it's like my insurance claim didn't fully go through. So they would have to cancel the appointment or the doctor was sick or I couldn't really, there were so many, seemed like so many barriers that shouldn't have been there. And I think that's mostly because of the shift with the pandemic and everything. It got to the point where I, it took me three months to get a doctor's appointment, just a regular checkup appointment. and. I called the nurse helpline. I gave them my symptoms and their response was, you shouldn't go to just urgent care. We need you to go to the ER because your symptoms are so severe. And that was a wake up call for me of, I just can't just go to a normal doctor's appointment. (laughs) I can't just go to urgent care like many other people go to. I have to go to the ER and I'm sitting in the ER just like I would for my loved one. And thinking about all those times we had together where she was the one who needed help. And here I'm sitting for hours at the ER, you know, contemplating me, I actually need the help. And that was a pivotal moment to me that I needed to focus more on my self-care than what I initially realized. Such an important lesson, important point, how important self-care is for the caregiver. Yeah. I think we preach it way more than what we actually model for others. And so that I, that's what I've been working on now is how can I be a role model for other family caregivers? How can I show them, you know, what it really means to take care of yourself and how can we fit it in our schedules when we're so busy? How can we make simple, easy steps to take care of ourselves? And given your profession, I'd be curious about your thoughts on the financial side. How can people think about as caregivers getting their finances in order? There's a lot to consider. There's health insurance. There's you know, managing money. There's long-term care. Where do people start? What's your advice? Yeah, so it's first, we have to lay the foundation for ourselves in our own financial situation. So about 65% of family caregivers have some type of health decline during their caregiving period. And so it's ensuring that you have a long-term care plan in place because as much as we wouldn't want to admit it, we have to take care of ourselves too. And it may happen that 
not only you're taking care of a loved one, but you're also needing your own long-term care. So having that plan in place for yourself, having your finances in order so you understand what those financial boundaries look like. So you know exactly when you need to pull from savings, how much can you pull from savings? That may be the decision of whether do I pull money from my 401k or do I pull it from a taxable brokerage account? Because those can be two different tax implications. So those are the conversations that I'm having with clients of what can we prepare before caregiving in case doomsday does occur. And then it's looking at your loved one's financial situation. If you're going to be their power of attorney, you're going to have to understand what that role looks like. And you probably should know you know, where their accounts are, how much money they have so they can afford long-term care themselves. Do they have enough money to either pay for a care worker or pay for you to take care of them? So those are the questions that I start. I'm kind of like the devil's advocate where I'm like, if this scenario happens, are you prepared for this situation? Because it may happen to you. If just like me, I needed to take care of myself and I needed a couple of weeks to do that and to get myself recuperated. So if you have that experience where you need a couple of weeks to go on a vacation or go on respite care, you know, who's going to pay for that and how are you going to provide that? And that's an interesting, that's an interesting point because most caregivers, caregivers are unpaid, but you've highlighted some ways that some caregivers could get paid. How does that work? Yeah, so there's many different ways. Unfortunately, there's not as much as what I would like there to be, but that's my personal bias. There's government aid. Those are for people who are low income that can qualify for Medicaid. Either they've spent down their assets or they have a low income, depending on what the state qualifications are. There is, as I said earlier, caregiving contracts. That's a contract between you and your loved one where they can pay you a certain amount to take care of them and as well as take care of yourself. It may not, not everybody may be afford, can afford to pay for someone to take care of them. If you're a veteran, there might be VA benefits available to you. And then there's grants from nonprofits and other sectors to help you like with respite care. But that's pretty much it, unfortunately. And that's why I'm saying there's a lot of unpaid family caregivers that have made sacrifices, whether that's quit their job or work part-time and have less income. Or maybe their spouse is the one who's the head of household paying for the bills. And you know, how can we protect those family caregivers in the future? It's a great point. You've highlighted some interesting options that some people may not think of. And there are a lot of avenues there for, for some people. Caregiving contract is interesting. And I actually went to college on VA loans. So that was something that I probably wouldn't have been able to afford college as an undergrad if that didn't exist. So those VA, VA benefits are, are things to look into if it's appropriate for people. So thank you for highlighting all of this. So what are some action steps people should be thinking about? You've highlighted some interesting ideas. What are some actions that people could take following this? So as I said, the three action items are take care of yourself and know those boundaries. It's okay to have boundaries. It's okay to have limits. Maybe you have a relationship with your loved one that's not a healthy relationship. It's okay to ask for help and find other ways so that you're not paying, you're not doing the primary role of family caregiving. It's okay to set up a support system where you're not doing all of the activities when it comes to caregiving. So for example, for my loved one, we have a neighbor that comes over and walks the dog. 
we have another neighbor that comes over and sees my grandmother, you know, an hour a day and they chit chat. So trying to spread out the wealth of caregiving is what's going to help you in the long run. Cause that could be an hour that you can go on a walk or an hour that you can relax. Sometimes you have to get a little bit creative. <laughs> Absolutely. Creativity comes in handy in so many situations, but those are very practical, doable action items that I think will help many people. Is there anything else you want to add? Any other resources that uh, you think people should consider? Any other advice for someone listening who might be a caregiver today or might become one tomorrow? Yeah. As I talked about previously, a lot of people don't know they're actually family caregivers. So the trouble with that is that there are so many great resources, but if you don't feel like that's part of your identity or that's something you need help with because you're not fitting into that role, you may not be a person that actually gets help. And there's like caregiver support groups. There's an Alzheimer's Association has their 24-hour um, helpline you can call to receive help. There's a lot of great people on social media giving tips. If you're like kind of on that borderline where you think you might fit that role, but you're not quite sure, be willing to you know, reach out to me on social media or other family caregivers on social media and really see what that experience is like and ask for help because we're all kind of in this together. We all understand. We may have different caregiving situations, but at the end of the day, we're all family caregivers. Thank you, Danielle, for highlighting this topic and sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So time for takeaways, ideas you can put into action following this conversation today. And today will be a little different because Danielle herself volunteered three specific compelling action steps. So those are the ones to follow. The only thing I'd add is just to reinforce one about self-care, that it's important to remember if you are a caregiver to take care of yourself and do the things proactively that will keep you at your best so you can help others, but also take care of what's important to you. Thanks for listening to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. Our mission is to help you retire smarter by focusing more on the non-financial aspects of life and retirement. Retirement's about much more than money. You can find all of our episodes and browse them at our website, retirementwisdom.com, across six seasons and with a number of fascinating guests and interesting topics that will help you retire smarter.